0: And welcome to another Round the Rotary podcast i me, your host, J.P. Warren. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. And before we begin, i got to say that Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Patron Consultants, CPC specialized in project engineering and well site supervision, all disciplines of the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitaltrumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate that. You can find uh, Round the Rotary on whatever platform you listen to. Please subscribe, like, leave a comment, leave a review. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and all that uh, fun stuff as well. And uh, I'm actually uh, happy about this because I think uh, we, ch- we tried to get you in here a couple weeks ago, right? But you, I think, just had a newborn and all that stuff. Uh, for those of you that don't know who I'm talking to, this is uh, Ryan Dawson, the, uh, the Chief Corvina. Over at uh, Corva, uh, the fa- uh, one of the founders, actually the founder, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. All right. So um, Ryan, thanks for coming in. I'm first off, I'm, I'm pumped that you're in here right now because uh, this is the first time that you and I have met. But I've spoken to several mutual uh, friends that we have that we have together, or whether the customers or not. And and Corva is one of those names that has always popped up, and there's always like um, uh, it's it's always mentioned. in Definitely a great way. Definitely one of the. Uh, it's like you're bringing and obviously we're going to get into to this during the podcast, but it's like, you're bringing technology that we're using today and like platforms or whether it's, uh, you know, how you view the data and all that stuff. Like, you're bringing today's, I guess, technology that we use in our personal lives to the, to the professional life, to the oil and gas industry. And, uh, and everyone, the teams that you build offer great things about everything. I'm, I'm really getting excited on how you, to discuss how you build teams, kind of what drives you and everything like that. So thanks for coming on today. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, thanks. Hope we live up to the expectation.
0: Oh, we will. You know what? And if we don't, those 12 listeners out there, sorry about that. So, uh, so anyway, so Ryan, why don't you just kick this off, man? Well, first off, you just had your second child as you said, three weeks ago. How's that been going?
1: Yeah, from my perspective, it's uh, it, it, there's some changes there. Uh, it, it hasn't been necessarily smooth sailing, but um, I'm pretty adept at working through chaos yeah. and in dealing with that. I feel like my entire professional career is like ups and downs. You go through from one call that's like, bad to one call that's good um, I was just reading this other CEO that that talked about the same thing it was like I went I, I would go from someone was leaving the company then I'd go to a call of making an offer then I'd go to a call of we had a customer quitting to a call of uh, you know trying to close a deal and you know it's just like throughout the day it's just so many ups and downs um, and I feel like I, I I also live that life in a sense just in terms of the chaos and you know, adding children to the mix was uh, is is just par for the course. <laughs> Do those downs? I mean, so I was at this conversation I think
0: the other day with someone. It's like you know, uh, you know, something bad happens to them, you know, or like someone cuts them off in traffic, or someone takes the last parking space, or they have a bad phone call with a customer or a client or something like that, and and that sits with them, that sticks with them the rest of the day. I did. How are you with when it comes to stuff like that? Do You just keep on moving on. Do you let it stick with you?
1: Yeah, I think um, so. There. To be honest, there are things that will eat me away. Okay, uh, so I have to, you know, I have to pick and choose like what I try to do. But in general, I'm very good at compartmentalizing. You are. That being said, I there's some famous people like Jeff Bezos that do not believe in multitasking. They say, you know, you can only do and there's a lot of research to this too. Like humans think they're good at it, but in reality, they're just doing all those tasks a little bit poorly. So I'm I'm trying more and more to be very focused on what mm-hmm. I'm doing. And then, you know, shift focus to something completely different. So do you try
0: out, I guess, uh, different, I guess, you you get these successful people, whether it's Jeff Bezos or whoever it is. I mean, do you you actually uh, study these people and, I guess, their success and kind of how they implement things and kind of carry that into your personal life and your professional life?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, Personally, I think there's many people like that. But me personally, I'm reading books about these people, how they... uh, the. The, the word they use are mental models. How do they think about life and uh, business? And uh, essentially, it's what is their decision-making framework uh, for all aspects of life? Okay, And so, you know, right now it's very popular. People are documenting these different mental models. But um, one of the simplest one that most people follow is like the 80-20 yeah. rule. So uh, the Pareto principle. But um, you, you are looking at these people and you're trying to study like, you know, how can I be like that? You know, one one of the most famous ones for Elon Musk is first principles thinking. So breaking thing down to the very root level, and then building back up to how you can answer or solve that question or problem. What do you mean by that? Can you give me any examples about that? that, that what, what, what do you call it? The first principle thinking? Yeah. Uh, SpaceX is the quintessential example. They said, how much is it to build a rocket? And what his calculations... So there's a famous story. He went to Russia and he tried to buy some uh, Russian uh, rockets and they gave him this high price. Basically, they didn't want to do business with And So on the plane ride back, he starts calculating on paper on the plane, what is the actual cost components that go into a rocket? So he's like looking at uh, what are, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what it was at the time, but aluminum costs or metal costs. And he's basically saying, actually, the rocket cost this much to manufacture and so that that's sort of the idea of like why do we do it you know why is a rocket so expensive that was his original question i actually think a lot about that in terms of drilling and completions uh mostly from the drilling side is like who out there is breaking down the problem to the very basic level and saying hmm you know the you know well cost these days five to ten million like Does it really, you know, from a drilling and completion perspective, does it really need to cost that? Yeah. Um, I I've never done the exercise, but I and it might be it's outside of my kind of my domain, but I wish someone was out there thinking like, who's going to be the SpaceX of, of drilling and completions and and really breaking this down.
0: So you know what's interesting about that? I had a a a Brett Shell. I think I got his last name correct. Uh, I think I got and and he uh, I, I, he I think he was first generation Oldfield. I no, I, I don't think it was first generation, but he, he has a, a, a unique way to view things. Like we, yeah, we've been doing this for generations, generations this way, but why? can't we just change it up like what if we do it this way I kind of like those uh, sitting across the table someone like you or him or something like that and and be the disruptors you know kind of look at uh, uh, whether it's operations or whether it's just the processes in that new light you know that that uh, innovative you know shift the paradigm type of light which I which I definitely respect and I kind of I agree I think more people should have that but it's just I think it's probably just training your brain to think like that yeah um Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But anyway, I appreciate. It. Let's 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 get this kicked off. Tell me all. Give me, let's let's get this. Uh, we were, we've been talking for a little bit, but I want to hear about you. So, wh- where'd you grow up? I mean, how how did you? Uh, Where did you see a need for uh, for Corva And how did you kind of start this? And and then I want to get into how you build your team because the people you have over there, uh, to me, I mean, the people in this day and age are definitely reflections of your product and your culture and all that stuff. And it seems like you've built such a good team with such buy-in and such pride in a in, in your company which I think is tremendous but I, but let's let's get to that later but let's start off baby steps first so give us give us your background
1: all right so uh everyone wants to know that I grew up in Midland that's right. my connection to the oil field uh third generation okay. it turns out didn't ever think I'd be in the oil field but uh my dad was a wildcatter so I sort of grew grew up in the ups and downs of Midland and you know, it, it was not always pretty, necessarily in the the 90s. Uh, my grandfather helped start some of the original Petrobras uh, stuff, so the the whole family, you know, my dad and his family went to live down there in northern Brazil during some period of time. So, so that was interesting. So it, it turns out I have a, a deeper connection than I ever knew. Um, I did go around with my dad sometimes, you know, to these these wildcat wells, and yeah. you know, you'd you'd grill uh, fajitas at lunch. Um, with, with these crews down there. And that, that was pretty interesting. It was fun. I think it was a completely different, uh, time, time, but, uh, so I got out of Midland. I, I went to Austin, um, spent 15 years there was that whole part of my life was very different, focused on consumer software. So like, uh, I had a company we worked with Netflix and Microsoft and I did a lot of like very, uh, you know, high, you know, what you'd think of as like the shiny technology that was coming out. And so that was really where I wanted to be for a long while, um, working on the products that you use at home. You know, I think there's a lot of glamorous things to like, when people go work at Apple, they work on a product that everyone uses. And so there's a lot to be said for that. At a point in time, there was so much stuff out there, like how many social media apps did you need, right? Oh, and, yeah. So, the thinking for me was, I need to work on the hardest thing that I can. And at that point, oil and gas was still in Texas. We, st- you know, that was the closest thing to us. Um, so, what drove me was this idea like, drilling automation is extremely hard. I'm going to go work on that. I think, you know, automating a drilling. Rig that sounds really hard. So so okay. So you 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 rode with your dad around to a
0: couple locations. You had some fajitas, okay, which is great time growing up as a kid. It was different. You're you know you see this you know rig. It's fascinating. You don't know much about it. Then you then you go to Austin to to do this, and then after 15 years, then you're thinking about mm-hmm. the drill. So what? How was that jump oh,
1: for you? Me, let me say I didn't have any. Even though I went to a few rigs to have a fajita cookout, I had no knowledge. Oh, yeah. Of how oil and gas worked. I didn't either. Even to today, I have very siloed knowledge. Do you think that helps you that out? Yeah, of course. So I have the outsider's perspective for oil and gas. And even to today, you will see that. And if you ask me about various things, um, you talked to about Brett and thinking differently and saying, why does this work the way it does? I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, 20, 50 times a day. Yeah. So uh, definitely, I think this is, a, this is a known sort of advantage in terms of like being an entrepreneur and not know what you're doing. The, the, the problem is sometimes the people that know what they're doing will uh, not sort of buck the status quo because they know something is problematic or, you know, from my perspective, I don't really know how much of a problem it is. So I might, you know, try to do something ambitious um, and, and then that's a good thing. So you have no problem
0: going in there and throwing up a what a silly idea or something like that and just kind of seeing, well, why is it a silly idea?
1: Yeah, the, one of the things, the big things that I hark upon a lot at Corva and just talking internally is we can't expect outside reward or, you know, results if we're not taking risk. Okay. And so I always think, like, the risk has to match the reward and where, you know, what are the risks? And that's a really hard when you start a business of course you're that's 100% risk but when you have like a business going and multiple business lines um what it, what is the risk you take that's really going to like bring in like a, a game changing technology so how do you identify i guess those those uh, the the risk versus reward i mean is
0: it is it a spreadsheet or is it just kind of a discussion with your team on I mean, what is that
1: Uh yeah it's <laughs> I mean, I think the spreadsheet part is pretty easy. Like, if you want to model something that you know, we can we can do that pretty pretty easily. Look at the TAM or the market size. Um, you know, more so, it it's these things that really you look at broader industry terms, not in oil and gas, and you say A plus B equals C, but I I can't I don't know B, and I don't know really what C will be. So the idea is. Um, did Facebook ever know how big it would be as a social network? No, like I don't think anyone knew how big it right. would be. But they had some early ideas around, well, if we're in front of people all day long. And you you know the stories and now it's like oh, yeah. the backlash is coming which yep. is oh, you optimize to like catch their eyeballs all day long. Well, yeah, you
0: you're trying to get them to look at that app as long exactly. as
1: they can. Exactly. And you know, it turns out now they like print money in terms of like advertisement revenue, yeah. Um, so you know, I think I think no one knew, no one knew otherwise what you would have seen is VCs investing in so many different social media companies uh, back in the the turn of the twenty twenty tens. But you know, now they're just starting to see like how big these things can be. Um, the problem is, you look at all these examples that are out there, and none of them are really that applicable to oil and gas okay there's this whole other component in terms of this is the way it always worked um this is how uh you know the data quality works for the industry this is how you know adoption works this is how sales works and so you you throw on top of that this whole curveball but you can still take general principles early on i would used to reference it a lot i'd said. you know that everyone's gonna want an amazing mobile app. <laughs> that's just yes. that's just a no brainer. Even till today, I th- I've been saying this for five years. Even to today, I open up people's mobile apps for various companies, and they're they're quite bad. And they must know this because they use mobile apps for all these companies every day on their phone. I mean, who doesn't have a smartphone? Exactly. I, you know, I I hope ours is good. It is good. I mean, it could be better. We're 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 always trying to improve it. Uh, there were times where I knew the same thing. I would say I would go to our team and say, "Look, this is just not good enough." I, you know, I I'm think I'm qualified to say that. And so, you know, it's a process. I mean, there's there's business things that have to happen as well. You you have to make money, but at the same time, you want these amazing experiences. So there's other trends. Um, Out there, one the one easy one to look at is you go from on-prem software, software, desktop software to cloud software. That's easy. Okay. So anywhere you see desktops, or you know, desktop software, that's going to be replaced by cloud software. But you know, those principles are not really big enough to change my life. I mean, I live and breathe that. So the question is, what else? What other trends out there really? create opportunities for companies, not just myself, but others to really, you know, to thrive in. And the bet you have to make is usually something five years out, maybe even 10 that you can't see. So you have to hope that everything plays out right. So you're looking
0: at trends, not just in oil and gas, but you're you're looking at trends in every other industry or every other, I guess, nook and crane that you can find to see kind of what's, what's, what's moving and shaking over here, what makes sense over here. And, and maybe you're is that what you are trying to do and kind of incorporate that stuff in, into into Corva yeah
1: exactly so it's um, you know it's a hard game and uh, luckily at this stage Corva is is mature enough where I, I can't I, I'm not gonna bankrupt the business on a certain idea but we can definitely take investment dollars and put them into something that that's risky so let's talk about the
0: entrepreneurial side of you so did you grow up and, and you always had that entrepreneurial spirit?
1: Yeah, I did. I had a grandfather, a different one from the Petrobras, um And he, I would sort of always wake up and he was just always business minded. So when I'd stay with him in the summer, it'd be like, Let's read the Financial Times and go over like the best stocks of the fun, day. Fun grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say I do that anymore at all, but um the yeah, Fun grandpa.
0: <laughs> so you so you've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. So you, it says the the, the first company that the co-founder was 1323, mm-hmm. right? And that was the one in Austin, Texas mm-hmm. that you did. So I guess I guess how did you go from I guess uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit but when did you make the when and why did you make the leap from I guess 1323 when you were living in Austin Tech a great city you know what I mean and then uh coming to I guess Houston and starting a Corva mm-hmm. uh so how tell me about I guess that time in your life I mean what was going on
1: yeah I've, I've I've told this to some people it was like you know a pretty difficult time I uh you know I had everything sort of figured out uh I felt like I was living on easy street. So I think that was kind of part of the, the thing is I wanted to go into something new. Cause I was, I, I was bored of what I was doing. Okay. Um, but those leaps, you, you never can estimate like how hard they are because like you think, Oh, I have a model of how things should work. And then you get in into it and it doesn't work at all like that. Right. So I think that's probably like the entrepreneur is like, how many times can you get said no to and keep going? Um, that that's really it. But reinventing yourself now, I I think you know. If you talk to anyone old, they say, uh, you know, I know so much more than I did. You know, I was dumb when I was thirty or whatever, and I I feel like that every year. It's like, man, I what was I thinking? If only I knew. What uh, was if I knew then? What I knew now? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of hardships. At, at the same time, it was very romantic in a sense of like. You know, you're, you're in your garage, you're building something from scratch, no one believes in you. Um, there's there's like a, you know, there's a lot of books and there's movies written store. about these. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you see Walt Disney, you see uh, Apple, you see Amazon,
1: they all start in that one
0: garage and there's always that picture of the garage right there or they're at their desk and there's like clutter and there's that one big box computer right there and they're, you know, whatever and it's... And now look at them you know they're, they're extremely successful and but they did that because they bet on themselves they wouldn't take no for an answer, and they believed in their and what they were doing mm-hmm. you know and I guess if if you've always had that so you 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 jumped in, you went from Austin to Houston, so tell me about I guess uh, the need that you saw and kind of uh, I guess uh, what you decided to do and then build Corva
1: yeah, Houston was a natural choice. this is where the people of the oil field were or lived and mm-hmm. uh, this is. This is where, if you wanted to build the talent that required for this company, it had to happen. I, I know there's stuff that happens in Austin, and people do do things there. But I I felt like, and I, I look back on the decision and still think that it was, you know, 100% the right decision was to, to build in Houston. Um, the need essentially was the data, especially we started in drilling – uh, now we have a, a very big business in completions as well. See but that, the, yeah. the, the the need originally was we have all this data, but no one is really bringing it to all the workers of the oil field in a way that they understand it. So like we need really great visualizations. We need analytics. How do we sift through this data? And so there's many parts of the problem. The, the thing is you can't just jump in and show people data. It turns out the data... Is and it's been well documented, is like very terrible format. And so, like, we've had to build a business in Corva just to essentially quality control and make sure all the data is in there, right? And that's like that's not a business that I don't think any of our customers buy, but we can't offer the car unless we essentially, you know, do that. But the main output, the you know, the thing that people are using are. I have all this this information, and it's helping me to increase performance. You know, can I drill faster? um can I reduce time so like as we're making drilling connections, as we're doing swap overs um so it's a lot of like the time and money, but you're you're analyzing all these various aspects of the business in Corva to to help you make those decisions uh, so think of it as like operational technology, okay. Uh, you know, operational analytics. So, how do I run my operation better, at least from a DHC perspective?
0: So, the so the, the cloud base, the, the, the data analytics and all that stuff. So, I guess during um, you know, I started this podcast probably about a year ago, and I guess you know during the whole downturn on stuff, you heard a lot of different buzzwords. You know, you heard uh, you know, data analytics. That became huge, I feel like, in the past uh, year. you know, At least people started talking about it more. Uh, people started showing more respect and started discussing it more. Um, you hear technology is a huge driver. Obviously, I feel like historically the oil and gas industry is like, oh, yeah, we're technology. But at the end of the day, are we? Uh, but, yes, we are. I mean, you're seeing a huge push right now. I, so you started Corv in January 2014. In 2015, that's when the downturn happened. Everything I feel, from my perspective, everything – Related heavily on price. People were very hesitant to introduce new stuff. So I guess what are you seeing more, I guess, uh, 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 what is it, fire or motivation or or buy in or people uh, that want to, uh, I guess, discuss uh, the, the benefits of Corvo with you, I guess, during this past year, year and a half
1: than you have before? I think in the, the first downturn, maybe the 2015 one, yes, definitely. I think that really lit a fire. This last year, was a it was a really strange year. And also, we yeah. were a much more mature company. But I think definitely what you're seeing from the top down and some of the biggest companies is we're going to digitize everything. Um, it's proven and known that this is going to improve our bottom line. It's going to improve all of our processes. I think that's one of the hardest things is like when you look at just digital products and say, what is the value? Um, it's always hard to measure. That's, yeah. like, that's like a hard thing for any startup that's working in digital, unless it's like, you have a, a one, you know, some sort of one-to-one conversion there. But the idea is, um, now most people have bought onto this because just around the world, they have seen all the industries that have gone this and like, it's pretty well documented that the benefits are very big. So now you have all these the from the top of most of these companies even small companies saying it's time to digitize yeah we're going to the future and so it becomes an exercise within all these companies to figure out all right what are my solutions what am i doing um one interesting trend is early on when corvo was started there was a lot of people building internal software it still happens to today. Okay. Um, one of the biggest... In, in all, internal software in regards to what? Yeah, potentially what Corva is doing okay. or the same functions. Uh, what people have sort of realized, at least the biggest companies in the world, and it hasn't hit all of the companies, is we're not a software company. We're an oil company. Um, I think there's a lot of question marks coming from just the investment side of the world, you know, ESG. And so they really have to say, are we a software company? Are we going to buy software off the shelf? And so th- that's been an interesting sort of problem for all startups in oil and gas is because they compete with inter- internal technology. There's a drive by people that work at certain oil companies to um, build this internally. And, I, you know, the, the successes are um, – it's really hard to say if, you know, how successful that's been. A lot of the, the projects that I've seen have not been – but at the same time, there is a need for people to... I got the same thing. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, there's a need for people to want to customize. That's a deep yes. drive within oil and gas. Actually, for Corva itself, if I can plug it, for the last year and a half, two years, we've been working on something called the developer center, the dev center. And the, the whole idea with that is people have been asking us for six years, can you build this? Can you customize this? How can we do that? And... It turns out that Corva itself was built like an app store like your iPhone, but we never let anyone else into it. And now we're saying, why can't we do that? And so the dev center is partners can build apps, uh, you know, rig contractors, frat contractors, startups, and we think it's going to be magical because... um, we're lowering the barrier to entry to do that. So, for example, most people used to spend ninety-five percent of their time, and, and I've seen a lot of these projects on the infrastructure, and then only five percent on actually the the real hard problem they're trying to solve. And what we're trying to say, this is the pitch. This is what I. This is the thesis, and I think it will play out. Is no spend one hundred percent of the time on the actual problem. Leave the infrastructure to us. Okay. And so this is a pretty new concept, not only for oil and gas but for other industries. But I think what it gives you is the magic of, all right, you know, we can do, you know, operators, you know, all these people can do what what they think they their IP or their, their cust- you know, their secret sauce, bring their secret sauce to it. But they can build software solutions in maybe a few weeks, um, maybe it's a month versus the alternative before, which is you'd have projects going for years and years and they never saw the light of the day.
0: Are you finding, I guess, the conversations to be more, I guess, open and, and, and fluid and transparent when you actually do have these? Because I, I I feel like selling or, 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 or communicating new technology or new – people that have done this for generations or, or this is the way my daddy did what it, 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 it's, it's a very hard um, or it's a very uh, crafted conversation to have them – to get buy-in. Are you finding out, like, there's more buy-in lately or there's more, I guess, people come to the table that want to, I guess, just are eager to discuss this with, with Corva? With you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there's a lot of great ideas out there. I've never thought that we'd have had necessarily the best ideas. Um, How can we empower them? But there was a – maybe this happened five years ago, but everyone had an app idea for your iPhone. Oh, yeah. You you remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, it would be funny if maybe there was a sort of phase there where everyone had an app idea for drilling completions production you name it well, that's all
0: the, what the, the show Silicon Valley started they had that app idea yeah that was what five years ago when that, when that show started yeah I remember that mm-hmm. I remember that completely
1: but I feel like we can if, if we if we can succeed and empower people to sort of build some of this stuff in a few weeks um I think that's a win for us um the it's it's hard to say it's hard for people to see it even myself but really these industry the oil and gas industry has the ability to go so much further, but the data has never been connected in a way where people can really experiment and think what could be possible. And this might sound far-fetched, but the idea is there are data-driven models out there. Well, just for example, I mean, do you really know what's going on downhole while you're drilling? Have you been down there? Mm. No. No. (laughs) Like, right? So, you know they understand drilling very well. But in a sense, it's like there's so much more that they don't know. Uh, I was just talking to someone about a hole cleaning model or like software that can do that. And it's very, very complex, as you might have guessed, like, what are all the factors that go into this? And that's why you've never seen it really commercially successful. Um, But let's fast forward and say I have all the inputs. Uh, from all these different apps or analytics, things coming together, and I have data that I can trust there, you can bring that much further and further. And so I think what we're going to see is uh, so much more efficiency and ability, just because we're finally getting to that point. Now, I'm, you know, so Corvus filling a real big need, which is essentially like, we need a plateau that has all you know, we need to stand on the shoulders of giants in terms of, like, all this data needs to be right, and, it you know, we need these, these calculations to be there. So there's this thought that there's so much further that can go, um, and hopefully we're unlocking the door. It will be really interesting in a few years what, you know, what happens. Uh, so I've been talking to just people recently that think very differently about reservoirs, about yeah. how you drill, about, you know, geosteering is that – is that really the future, or is like, you know, using rock mechanics the the a different way? I mean, there's really crazy ideas out there that basically, the, and the only way you can really do them are through data driven analytics.
0: So it sounds it sounds so interesting to kind of be at one of these tables when you're sitting there talking to whether it's the reservoir engineer, or production, engineer or whether. Where do you find, I guess, these these um, innovative? people that you want to surround yourself with where you do get these ideas from I mean it's just through your networks or you just do you notice someone on LinkedIn you're like ah this person thinks kind of different this kind of I like how this person thinks I want to pick their brain a little bit I mean where do you find I guess your source of a uh, of product or 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 drive or inspiration when it comes to I guess uh what you're trying to put
1: together to be honest I'm trying to temper some of the ideas that I have in my head because I you know we I need to focus more on the execution. I need to make sure this stuff becomes real. So I'm trying to pull down, you know, I'm in the clouds too much, really. And I need to be more focused on how, you know, what are are the steps to make this a reality? Because if this doesn't succeed, how do we get to the next thing? Um, You know, there's, I do meet a bunch of interesting people. Uh, I think there's a lot of great ideas out there. It's just also, hey, we only have certain resources for building things or, or entertaining so many ideas. So... Um, the, in my mind, the, the oil and gas industry is, has so much low hanging fruit in it to be able to be uncovered right now that it's, you know, you go on these webinars and it's automation, automation, automation. Um, I would argue that, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing that great of solutions for this low hanging fruit. How can we be at automation? And so. That's probably not a popular opinion because everyone wants to hear about automation. Everyone wants but, to hear that right uh, now, yeah. Yeah, so our marketing department is probably talking about automation. But the the reality is, like, uh, me just looking at it like Elon Musk and the rocket and you, you, or, you know, doing first principles, you're saying, um, hmm, we're missing a few pieces. You had an interesting – I'm trying
0: to look for the post, actually. I mean, we're talking about the future of oil and gas right now. And I would love to hear kind of your quick intake on, number one, where you see it going, where – number two where you want it to go because uh, you had a, uh, something up here you said oh something in five years Well Corv was in around five years ago so who knows what's going to happen by then um, I can't find it right now I, that's how it works around the rotary whenever I want to show you something I can't find it but anyway that's how it works in life but uh, I guess where do you, where do you see uh, the industry going I and mean, I guess where do you
1: want it to go if that makes sense mm-hmm. so the industry of the future I think is an interesting one I have heard that private equity companies in Houston, you know, I think John Arnold just made a post about this on Twitter, but he talked about no PE firms can get money uh, for essentially oil and gas projects. But if, you know, if this is green, they can get money all day long, right? right? So um, there's this really interesting problem in terms of where the money is not necessarily meeting oil and gas. In terms of like projections, I definitely see for the next. Uh, 20 years. There's flat um, demand, but you know that being said, the, these black swans are really hard to predict. Um, but I think you know I think there's enough of a, a lifespan of, of pretty pretty decent like extraction and uh, you know you know upstream activity that that, that it's worth definitely thinking through. Um, you know, I always think that people always want the, the future to come faster. And so, like, even people that are that are out there looking for green technology to replace oil and gas, I think it actually happens much slower than people would like. Yeah. I don't know about you. I don't drive to work on any route that has a supercharging station next to me. So, uh, you know, that's just an example of, like, we're probably going to need a lot of those before even EVs before are... Before we flip are, that switch. Yeah, go. taking over. So, the... The most interesting thing is like there is the ability to automate things from a software perspective in terms of what people work on. I think they talk about software eating the world, um, eating every industry in terms of what that means is it does more and more functions. And um, I think there's there's a, a big runway to replace a lot of those things. So one of the things that we work on a lot is well design, which is. So drilling engineers spend about 50% of their time doing well design. Well, with the data in Corva, we think we can get that down to at least five minutes, meaning it automates all of the processes of building out the well. Wow. And we think the five minutes is really the tweaking time. We think the human brain is great for understanding something. So let's say there's five minutes of I I want to change this, this, and this, but at the the output is a you know, as a document, you can drill off of. You can, you know, circulate to everyone. God, that's mind blowing. So, you know, that's a, that's an example of. Okay, then what do we do with the the rest of the fifty percent we just saved for uh, drilling engineers? They could focus on uh, live operation performance. Uh, this is, you know, same thing goes for completion engineers. And what happens there? Uh, will increase the you know the performance performance or efficiency. Um, Long term, you you can definitely see that there's going to be much more technology driven right. um, this is you know this is this is going to change the game in terms of like what people do what they work on um, you know that being said there's there the, we have to come to some mixture with the whole ESG movement too so what i see are a lot of attempts at emissions tracking but not that great so i think there there a large component of oil and gas has to be these companies have to be the best in the world at emissions tracking and and do that really well. Tracking and reporting, right? Yeah, so that that is going to be very, you know, forefront. But the but the question is, you can't just build that in a vacuum. You have to work with what oil and gas is. And so, like right now, there's a lot of, like, these methane-seeking uh, drones out yeah, there. Yeah. That, that must be pretty expensive to deploy. So what are the cheaper options? Because... You know, it doesn't matter if you say this is a great idea. It still has to be economical. Right, right. So I think, you know, in the future, the the best companies of the world are going to be the best at uh, efficiency in terms of automation and uh, emissions tracking. So from a high level.
0: So I want to kind of flip this up because I know that you, you're kind of pressed for time. But I kind of want to talk about the team and the culture that you've built because I have – that just echoes through every conversation I've had about Corva, your team – uh, there 's a lot of pride there 's a lot of uh buy in there's there 's loyalty there's there's just kind of i feel like there 's honor being a a, a so can you just talk to me on kind of i guess what you look for and how you build your teams and I guess how you instill that that sense of pride with your with your group right there because that to me that would i mean obviously all the the 98% of the stuff that you do sounds way over my head, but that to me sounds like an extremely challenging part because you're dealing with people at this point. Mm-hmm. So how do you, I mean, what's what's your secret to success when it comes to finding the right people and
1: instilling that ownership or empowerment or pride? Yeah, you originally said it correctly, which is that the ultimate product at Corva is no none of the software, it's the people, it's the culture. Right. So really what I'm building, my job is, as the ceo of corva is to make sure the culture and the processes are right and that's ultimately going to be the engine that drives everything how sales works how what are the future products we build you know how does our customer support work and so that is my biggest focus of every day is making sure that's right and i think early on we you know i i interviewed pretty much everyone at corva Uh, you know, that was, you, you, I I had my stamp of approval on it. Uh, we just made sure we were hiring the best of the best. Um, but what is the best of the best? Is it the best,
0: I guess, programmers or is is, is it the, 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 the best way that people kind of look at this? Like, Oh, why are we doing it this way? Is it, what is it? What, what do you, what do you, what do you, I guess, what are you attracted to when it comes to uh, someone that comes to you that wants to be part of the team?
1: What you really want to look at is what is their rate of change in terms of how they grow as a person? So I don't care if they come in knowing very little. I don't care if they know petroleum or software. What you want to measure, and this is, this, is, this is hard, is in what period of time do they grow? So let's say I hire someone, and then a year later, they're really not that much of a different Staying person. Staying the same, yeah. That was, probably, that was not a great hire. Um, let's say I have someone else, and they've sort of learned and reinvented themselves through that one year. Okay, that's exactly what you're looking for because the problems are always changing. What do you got to do? What you're working on? And so you want people that are really dynamically changing. Um, you know, I'd say that was probably the hard thing about last year for most companies. It was like the change wasn't there. The first thing everyone, when they join Corva, we tell them, you don't understand how fast this company moves and they're like oh yeah i get it i mean i was told that in my last
0: everyone was and then
1: yeah i don't know if you've ever talked to anyone that worked at corford they yeah. would say jeez uh, i d- completely underestimated the pace of change uh just at this company and you know we're a small company and we got to fight against the biggest companies in the world that have 30,000 employees and and we're just you know north of 100 so how do you do that you you just got to you got to outwork them you got to be smarter um but, you know, it's more about empowering people to do jobs that they would ne- never really have. I mean, if you work at a big company, you're going to be responsible for like, uh, you know, did I r- get the right nut or bolt correct? Um, you know, and I, that's my one job. Do I have the right nut? Um, you know, at Corvid, we're going to put you in charge of, you know, very big things and projects and you know, it doesn't always go well. Right. But did you learn? Did you did you succeed in in learning something and figuring out what you did wrong? And can you apply that correctly the next time?
0: So 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 it's pretty much you're trying to find these people and and and, and try to identify some spark or drive in that. And then and then after a period of time, then you decide if this is the right person for the for the culture for the team.
1: Yeah, these days we rely a lot on 30 60 90 day goals. And so what we really want to do is get you into the seat and get you doing what you do and and evaluate you there. Okay. Uh it's not always like it's not always possible cuz if you have to leave another job, but really I think the evaluation needs to happen there. We've tried to de- devise different tests, different methods to do different things, but the the best way is like let me see how you work I work with you. For developers, that's kind of becoming a more of a common thing is like, let's just work together on a little project. Um, at Corva, we're trying to devise different projects that we can roll out so we can see, you know, how we work with them. I think that's like the, the easiest way just to see is there, is there, does this work? Is it a mesh? Did you deliver on what you said you would do? Um, so so that's one of my big things is just, you know, on-job on performance. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think people can ace interviews. People also can do poorly at
0: interviews. And they might The resume might look great, and at the end of the day, it's, it really doesn't speak to kind of their skills or their talent.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's actually getting the person in the seat and seeing how they collab with the people there. But you, honestly, we got to wrap this up right now because I know you're expecting a call. But first off, I wish we could extend this. I'd love to have you back on again sometime. I mean, again, everyone, this is Ryan Dawson, the chief Corva, not the CEO, the founder of uh, Corva. And I highly recommend you checking out their homepage. It's uh, over at uh, corva.ai, and it's some – Really, really cool shit. Like it's it's the the graphics are great. It's it's I, I love this stuff right now. I love what I'm looking at, and I would love to. I've heard about y'all's office. I mean, I think once things are safe, I'd love to come check that out. You know, just just oh, see it safe. and meet the meet the crew over there. But uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, you have came recommended by several people to get on the show, and I just wish we had a little bit more time. Maybe we'll get you back again, have, have a little more time, talk about something else. But uh, again, everyone, this is. Do you have anything else uh, for the for the listeners out there that any plugs or anything like that, or get, be on the lookout for this or anything no all right well Ryan thank you so much and uh, I wish you the best I wish you and uh, the rest of the corvauts uh success and uh, hopefully uh you know just if things go well for y'all and I'm looking forward to seeing the next step what y'all uh, what y'all come out with and what y'all uh, produce for the uh, for the industry and maybe outside the industry who knows yeah let's do it again soon absolutely all right everyone thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon.